Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Seminary Unboxed. This is Dr. Matt Ayers, your host of Seminary Unboxed and president of Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we train trusted leaders for faithful churches. And today we return to our study on the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter six today, where we have the seven seals begin to open. Um, and we see the, uh, a number of things happen. So um, let's go ahead and read the chapter, and then we'll get to our study. Now, I watched the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, with a voice like thunder, excuse me, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do no harm. Do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I looked, and the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over the earth, over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, full moon became like the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone who everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand? So here in this chapter, we encounter the first six seals opened. The first four seals are horses. Seal one is a white horse with a mounted archer. Seal 2 is a red horse with a rider who takes peace from the earth. Seal 3 is a black horse with a rider holding scales announcing inflation. Seal 4 is a pale green horse whose rider was named Death. Seal 5, the martyrs cry out from under the altar requesting vindication. Seal 6 is an earthquake causing the luminaries to fall dark. So, in chapter 7 is an interlude between the first six seals and seal number 7, which is silence in heaven. So, let's look at these first six seals, and we're not going to get into all the details of the text as we have in previous episodes. We're going to do more of an overview. So, let's look at what each of these horses and their riders symbolize. 
in these first four seals. First, there's a consistency among them in that each of the four creatures, remember there are four throne guardian sort of angelic beings, hybrid beings, one in the face of a lion, an eagle, so on and so forth, excuse me. <coughs> and they call out, come, and then each one comes. White, red, black, and pale. The white horse with a mountain archer represents foreign invasion, and this is attested throughout history. Usually if a country was going to invade another country, you have to be able to be very mobile. Um, and so um, mounted archers um, typically is representative of foreign invasion. So the idea is as, as time progresses towards the end, there will be foreign invasion. Now, when invaded by whom, who is being invaded, so on and so forth. The text doesn't give us answers to those questions. There's certainly all throughout history times that we could locate things like this happening, foreign invasions of other countries, um, but the text does not specify. So white horse with a mounted archers, foreign invasion. Red horse with a rider who takes peace from the earth is representative of an internal uprising. So um, attack from the outside and then uprising from within. Now, these progress quite uh, naturally. So an attack from the outside would weaken any kind of government or body or institution that would bring peace to the internal workings, everyday life of a nation or a people group. And so with those being weakened, there's opportunity for those who are unhappy within to uprise, to revolt as a result of the foreign invasion. So red horse, red probably symbolizing bloodshed. And of course, taking away peace is what the text tells us. And so the result of that uprising is peace goes away because the powers that allow peace to maintain have been disrupted. Seal three, the black horse with a rider holding scales. This is also a natural progression. Um, announcing this inflation. And so after you have an attack from the outside and war breaking out from within, there's going to be a scarcity of resources. And so the prices are going to go up. So, um, and then we have the pale green horse whose rider was named Death. The color uh, that's described here in Greek is often used to describe to the color of a corpse. And that, of course, corresponds to the, the name of the rider being Death. And so this one represents Death. Naturally, then, these four horses of the apocalypse, four horsemen of the apocalypse, um, symbolize the breaking down of society ultimately leading in death. Um, again, when, where, who, etc., the text does not tell us. Um, seal 5, martyrs cry out from under the altar. Um, what is the meaning of this? They're requesting vindication. This is an anticipation of judgment. We're assuming that the prayers of the saints move forward God's redemptive plans for history. And we're going to see this later on where we see the altar of incense cast down upon the earth. And that is a symbol of the prayers of the saints being a catalyst for God's eschatological work in bringing history to a close. Seal 6, earthquake causing luminaries to fall. This is complete catastrophe. So all six seals together... Um, really do just demonstrate that everything is going to fall apart. Now, again, broadly speaking, how would this message fall on the ears of the original audience? Well, remember that the original audience is a persecuted church, 
and they're persecuted by the government around them and the imperial cult, namely the, the Roman government, and the requirement for its citizens to be loyal to the government and to worship the things that the government tells it it needs to worship. And later on, we're going to learn um, those symbols for these things are the, the two beasts and, of course, the red dragon. And the two beasts, the first beast, the beast of the sea, is the government, and the beast of the land is the great prostitute, and that they do everything at the behest of the red dragon, who is Satan. And so Christians not participating or accommodating the values, the worship system, and the culture um, creates problems for the government. It's a threat to power. They need everyone to participate and everyone to cooperate. And because they don't do that, they're persecuted. So this message falling on the ears of a persecuted church is going to inspire hope and anticipate a better future in that it's a reminder that the powers that they see that keep the peace, Pax Romana, Latin meaning the peace of Rome, are not going to be around forever. It will be attacked from the outside, there will be an internal uprising, famine will be the result, and there will be death. Some would even suggest that the um, earthquake causing the darkened illuminaries, the darkened luminaries, the the stars falling, um, could be a symbol of the fall of its political leaders. So this isn't the end. There's hope for a different future. Christians are anticipating the consummation of the kingdom of God because of the temporality, the temporal nature of the powers that be that persecute them. So, this, is, uh, this, this message comes through in many times and in many places in the book of Revelation, even with the woman who flees to the desert. This is the church age in which the church lives in the desert. We have yet to inherit the fullness of the promise. That is the promised land, the promise of glorification, eternal life, and citizenship in the new heavens and the new earth that won't pass away. In the meantime, as Christians who live in a world where evil still exists and still exercises control in ways that Christians can avoid, it means that there will be difficulty. However, it is temporal, that it will break down. That's the sweeping picture that we get here. So let's look at a little bit more of the details here. Let's talk about this white horse. Um, There's different uh, interpretations, you know, a mounted archer, foreign invasion. Um, Some have suggested that this white, is the white horse a a villain? Is the rider a villain, a bad guy? Or is he a good guy? Um, We do see um, horses in battle throughout the book of Revelation. And there's one time where Christ is depicted as coming on a white horse. So we see this in Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, pouring, wearing pure white linen. So there's very little doubt here that this is uh, Jesus. The question is, is this white horse, the same as the white horse that we just read about in Revelation chapter 6. I don't believe it is uh, for several reasons, because here in 19, we have the specific um, attributes of Jesus himself that are not named. 
in chapter 6. Also, Jesus rides alone in chapter 19. There's no other horsemen. There's no other horses. Um, Also, in chapter 6, the other horses that come along uh, bring death with them. Um, This this chapter 19 appearance of the white horse seems to be more like a rescue, a final, um, a final rescue of God's people, that Jesus will come and rescue them as a warrior. Uh, here, this white horse in chapter 6 being combined with the red, black, and pale green horses and the martyrs crying out, the earthquake, seems to me to be one who will be a part of bringing down um, the secular governments that exist that are temporal. And um, Christ certainly has a part in that, but is he the, the rider? Uh, it doesn't seem to be the case. So, um, also, we need to comment that these different colored horses, it's not something that appears out of nowhere in Scripture. This comes from Zechariah. We have a very similar image in Zechariah chapter 1. Verse 8 says, I looked out in the night and saw a man riding a chestnut horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the valley. Behind him were chestnut, brown, and white horses. And then in Zechariah 6, so that was Zechariah 1.8. In Zechariah 6.3, the third chariot, white horses, and the fourth chariot, dappled horses, all strong horses. So, um, so we see different colored horses associated with the apocalypse, the end of all things, in the Old Testament. This isn't entirely unique to John. So he could be repurposing or seeing the same things that God showed Zechariah. The specific colors of the horses is not totally clear, like does white mean pure, red mean blood, black mean evil, and um, pale green mean death. Death. I believe that pale green does intentionally mean death, but that's because we are told that because the name is death. So, um, So once again, the white horse, the first proposal is that Christ is the rider and the white horse is the victorious progress of the gospel. Um... We got that from Revelation chapter 19. Um, And again, I point out that the weakness of that interpretation, that this white horse and its rider is the same as Christ, is because there's nothing else in common between chapter 19 and chapter 6 other than the white horse. So the emphasis here is on conquest. And in chapter 19, the emphasis is on righteous retribution. But more than this, the rider holds a bow And the Christ rider of chapter 19 fights with the sword of his mouth. That's a key difference. So chapter 6 fights with the bow and 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 an arrow. And chapter 19, that is Christ, fights with the word of his mouth. Um, As I've already mentioned, here the white horse is taken as a part of a group. In 19, he's singular. So the other view is that this is an evil figure, uh, that this figure conquers violently like the beast does. So in Revelation 11, 7, it says, When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. And it was permitted, verse, uh, Revelation 7, 13, 7, and it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, nation, and language. Uh, the demonic horse-like figures in chapter 9, verse 7, wear crowns and wreaths. Um, so it seems to me that the strongest argument for this one is that uh, this is an enemy of God. Uh, also, uh, throughout the Old Testament, or in places in the Old Testament, the enemy of God is represented with a bow. Um, Ezekiel 39, 1-5. Um, As for you, son of man, prophesy against Gog, say, 
This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I will turn you around, drive you on, and lead you up from the remotest parts of the north. I will bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. Hosea 1.5, on that day I'll break the bow of Israel in the Jezreel Valley. Jeremiah 51.56, for a destroyer is coming against her, against Babylon. Her warriors will be captured. For their bows shattered, for the Lord is a God of retribution. So a third possible interpretation, this is an evil figure, is one. This is Christ, is two. This is, it could just represent human conquest. This seems to be the most plausible view, uh, the threat of human wars of conquest, as I've already suggested. So the approach here considers that all four riders, like a set, and the four groups of horses um, that we read about in Zechariah 1, 8 to 15, and then again in chapter 6, and it recognizes that all of them together are an ominous group. They're a, threatening, a, th- a, th- a, th- they're a threat collectively. So like the violence, the food shortage, the death represented by the other horsemen, the first rider points to a threat posed by violent forces operative within human society. So, and, and note that this is not just warfare, but conquer from an outside foe. Um, so in any case... Um, the fact that a crown is given to him represents that he is uh, victorious in battle, as it says in verse 2. I looked white horse, the rider held a bow, a crown was given to him, and he was victorious in battle. So the, the rest of the horses are pretty straightforward. So, um, so yeah, there we have chapter 6, the six seals, the first four horses, and then martyrs crying out from under the altar requesting vindication, and an earthquake causing luminaries to fall. Everything is falling apart. Um, there's there's a, a question oftentimes that comes up about the price of wine and oil. Um, some have suggested, you know, a wheat, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Uh, there's no doubt that this is famine, um, but remember that oil and wine are not luxury items. Some have suggested that it means that poor people will suffer, but rich people won't, and that's that's nonsense. Wine and oil are not luxury items in history. Um, it could be that the warning to merchant is to merchants not to charge more for oil and wine just because there's a wheat shortage. But nonetheless, while we don't know exactly why they say don't harm the wine or the oil, it tells us that while there's a famine, it will be controlled and measured. It'll be limited. It's not a complete famine. There's still some sort of resource. It's limited. So the, family, the famine certainly results from warfare from the previous horses. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Other questions that come up um, in this chapter. Oftentimes, uh, there are questions about martyrs crying out in that little bit that we read. Uh, let's see here. Let's, let's read through that again. Uh, Sorry, let me find it here. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were uh, each given a, a white robe, uh, told to rest a little while longer. So this tells us that First, they're told to rest a while longer. We understand from texts like these that Christians who have been faithful saints, they are at a restful state while waiting for the return of the kingdom. It is a return to rest or an arrival at rest, which the book of Hebrews, it's not torment, it's not torture for Christians, it's restful. But it says, return to your rest a little longer until the number of your fellow servants and brothers should be complete, 
who were to be killed as they himself have been. So what does this mean? There was a notion uh, in the ancient world that God had, uh, specifically among the Jews, that God had specifically numbered uh, the number of martyrs that he would allow before he would uh, put an end to all things. It seems to me and to others that this is the idea that's coming through, that until the total number of martyrs has been reached, and once we hit that threshold, that number, that's what will trigger God's coming. So um, that's what that's what seems to be happening there in that verse. Now, we don't know. It could be something else, but it seems to be the most plain uh the most plain reading of the takes of the of the text. So, um, so yeah, there's Revelation chapter six. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with Revelation chapter seven before too long. This is Matt Ayers with Seminary Unboxed. Mm-hmm.